Governor Spencer Cox currently serves as the 18th governor of Utah and as chair of the National Governors Association, where he launched the Disagree Better initiative. Governor Cox joined host Andrew Kaufman and the Bush Institute's Chris Walsh for a conversation about listening, discussion, and yes, disagreeing, and why disagreeing is actually a good thing when done thoughtfully and respectfully. We want people to disagree. Uh, too often the criticism is, oh, you just want us to go along to get along, or, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't speak my mind, or, or uh, the opposite, like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to engage with those people. Those people are, are awful, and we're... We believe that disagreement is foundational to our country. That that our um, you know our nation was founded on on really deep and profound disagreement, and so we we, we want to encourage people to do that. So so I always tell people that there's a couple, and, and I'm not great at it, by the way. I screw up all the time, I, you know. I but but name calling is 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 one way, just just kind of an easy way to to, to watch out for. Whenever you're talking about those people, um, that that's a red flag for me as well. Uh, trying to to understand. You know where other people are coming from is is really critical. Hear more from Governor Cox on his time as governor, the importance of civility, and hot sports opinions on the NBA on this episode of The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Today on The Strategist, we're honored to have Governor Spencer Cox from Utah, traveled here in the middle of winter, where I think our weather is much as Utah-esque today. But Governor, thank you so much for spending the time and traveling here to the Bush Center for this for this day. Well, th- thanks for having me. It is. I, I was I was astounded landing and finding out it was 10 degrees warmer in Salt Lake City than in Dallas. So <laughs> you've, you've welcomed us with uh, with our type of weather this time of year. Well, and it's better than the summer where it's 115. I, I'm so. not complaining at all. I it, often great to be apologize here. on behalf of our weather to our guests. So thank you so much. Our co-host today is Chris Walsh, one of, one of the nicest people at the Bush Center, I have to say, and we're so glad that you're here for this conversation on Disagreeing Better. It's interesting you would say that, Andrew, because I think this is a very timely conversation. Governor, you may have sensed it when you walked in the room, but there's a thick tension between Andrew and me today because he is a huge Dallas Mavericks fan, and I am a huge Boston Celtics fan. And in a few hours down the street, they'll be squaring off. I should say the league-leading Boston Celtics will be in town today. So we may need to disagree better is all I'm saying. Uh the Utah Jazz will as, also. as a huge so now we're talking guys I'm an NBA <laughs> guy okay uh, I, I I eat drink breathe this stuff I, we can talk about either of your teams or my team uh, if you like to know I, I pay very close attention oh, so right. you, you now have my attention we'll and get there. I can break this you know we'll Utah has a special place in my heart because that's who the Mavericks beat uh, the, uh, when Dirk Nowitzki was a young player. Uh, and it's true. The first run, that first playoff. Yeah, I, I remember it well. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I I do just want to say, as a big Dirk fan, that uh, we uh, uh, f- former coach, somebody who who knows a lot about uh, about Dirk Nowitzki, uh, compared Larry Markkinen uh, to Dirk Nowitzki mm. just last last week. So wow, we, we we love that comparison. Obviously, we're very happy about that. And so any any comparison to uh, to to the big German, uh, we we love. Oh well, you know, I think we're I think we're all agreed on that one. Yep, for sure, for sure. <laughs> See, look. 
we've we can do this. ground already. It's Seriously. Amazing. It's yeah, amazing. But, but we all agree the Celtics, it doesn't matter. Do we agree? Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. By, by, by the way, my second love uh, outside of the Jazz, always the Boston Celtics. Uh, going back to Danny Ainge days, a uh, kid who played for BYU in, in, uh, in college and went on to play. When, when I was a kid growing up, you had to choose. We were all Jazz fans, but you also had to choose between the Lakers and, uh, and the Celtics because they were always in the finals, right? And we were, we were definitely a Celtics home. So Thank I, you for making I the right to, choice, I have Governor. to give you that one. Thank Danny you. Ainge, the, one of the first uh, two-sport athletes. Yeah, incredible pitcher, uh, play, baseball player. Um, drafted by the Blue Jays and ended up uh, ended up playing uh, for the Celtics had a long career and now is back, back helping to run the yep. Jazz yeah which we're very excited about so look look this is look just great guys why don't we just do this Let's I do know it. this is what your listeners are, are hoping for yeah today, they came they came to this podcast <laughs> for sports analysis I got much more excited I feel good I feel good <laughs> all right well let's let's get to know you a little so you you've been in public service for for a decade how did you get that start um, did you know you always wanted to run for office and and you know what would you say to someone coming up that do, would that want is thinking about getting a public service yeah run away uh, as quickly <laughs> as possible no it's actually been two decades i started as a city councilman in my in a small town of 1200 people the town i grew up in uh after after going to law school and working for a big law firm went back to raise my kids on the farm where uh, my great 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 grandfather settled 160 years ago and and uh got got my start on the city council when somebody moved and they had to appoint someone to fill that uh they they wanted it they asked me and i was flattered but turns out they couldn't get anybody else to do it and uh they also had a, an issue, a, a legal issue, and hoped that as an attorney, I would do free legal work for them. And so that's, that's kind of how it all started. But I, I've loved my time uh, serving, uh, serving as a mayor, a county commissioner, serving in the legislature, and then as lieutenant governor for seven and a half years before, uh, before becoming governor. And, and it, it is very rewarding. I, we grew up, we, we were told that you have to give back. As a kid. So my cousins are volunteer firefighters, EMTs. I wasn't good with fire blood. And so um, we you know, decided that this was this was uh, my way to get back, and, and I, I've loved it. And I would encourage anybody who's who's interested um, to do it, but make sure you're you're doing it for the right reasons. We have we have a few too many people who get in for the wrong reasons, and uh, if you're in there to give back and to sacrifice, it's it's absolutely worthwhile. Well, Governor, I would say one of the things that I think attracted the Bush Institute and the Bush Center, because it really just, it, it overlapped with the work that we're trying to do on things like pluralism, strengthening American democracy was, I'll take you back to 2020, you're running for governor. Um, and, and you do something at a time when the country is polarized, uh, there's tensions are high around elections in particular. You know, there had been states and there had been nationwide people are saying, we don't quite have confidence in election integrity. I'm being nice about it when I say that. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you do something really Strange, I'll say. Uh, you and your your Democratic opponent, Chris Peterson, appear together on a campaign ad, and you you disagree, but you also treat each other decently. Are are you from another planet? I'm trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on here. What what happened there? Well, it, it more more and more it feels like we are from another planet, uh, and that weird planet is Utah. Um, I'm, I, I'm very lucky to live. You said it, not a, us. No, no, I'm lucky to live in a weird state that still believes in pluralism, that still um, still believes that we can disagree without hating each other. And and so, yeah, I know I had this experience. Um, again, so if we're a weird state in more ways than one. We, we run on the presidential cycle. Uh, we're one of like eight or nine states. And so, uh, so we're, we're in cycle now. But so 2020, you know, transport back. We had um, our first big debate 
on a televised debate was the same night as Trump Biden's first debate. In fact, we were the hour leading into Trump uh, Trump Biden. And I don't know if you remember that first Trump Biden debate. I didn't see it because we were just wrapping up and, and, and leaving. But I started getting all these texts like, this is insane. We've never seen anything quite like this. It was you know more than, than, than Trump Clinton. It was even crazier. And uh, and they said, I, the other messages coming in were, we, we appreciated your debate that was, you disagreed passionately, but uh, but you didn't hate each other. And we, we could tell that you respected each other. So that's what's happening in the country. So now it's kind of end of September. Um, we're, we're a little more than a month away from the election. And uh, a friend says, I'm really worried about what's happening in our country now, uh, right now. And, and we had this conversation, you know, what, what happens if Trump wins? Um, you know, the left, could burn it down. I mean, we were having riots already, post-George Floyd, all of these things. And then, well, what happened? We were trying to place out what happens if, if Biden wins. And, you know, the right could shoot it up. The threats of violence were real. And of course, January 6th happens later. Um, but she said, she said to me, isn't there something you can do? And that, I, I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm running for governor of Utah. I, I don't know. We're 1% of the nation, 3 point you know, 4 million, 3 million people. Um, so I, I couldn't sleep that weekend. Uh, and I went to my team that, that next Monday and I said, Hey guys, uh, I think we need to do something. I have this crazy idea. What if we did an ad with, with my opponent? And they're like, that's the weirdest thing we've heard, <laughs> but you know, knock yourself out. And so I, I called Chris and I, and I, I said, Hey Chris, I have this crazy idea. And usually the, I mean, the first weird thing is you don't call your opponent, right? That was weird. We'd never done that before. And so he just he just said I, I pitched it to him and he said well let me talk to my people and he said you know what? I don't need to talk to my people like this is the right thing to do we we both care about our country um, let's do this so we we literally wrote the ad in a day um, and uh, we were filming like two days later and in less than a week we had released it and we thought it was just kind of a, a thing for Utah so it's just the two of us it's saying I'm Spencer Cox and I think you should vote for me he says I'm Chris Peterson and I think you should vote for me uh, well we disagree on lots of things we both agree that Utah is a great place that we can disagree without hating each other and that we'll accept the results of the election and that we care about our country. And, uh, and uh, we, you know, we, we didn't expect anything to happen of it uh, with it outside of Utah, but then it went viral very quickly. And uh, we, we got asked to appear together on basically every national and, and even some international news shows and, and talk. It was, it was really different. People weren't expecting it. And I, 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 I really appreciate Chris and his willingness to do that with me. We're we're actually sitting here with uh, your your current comms guy. Uh, was he was he on the staff then? Yeah, it was not uh, at that time. So di- different team, and uh, we. Uh, but but they were they were really cool about it. So we had run kind of a non conventional campaign up till then. Anyway, uh, we we had decided that I, I didn't really want to run another campaign. I, I didn't have this great desire to to be governor. But we decided if we were going to do it, that we would we would do it differently. We weren't going to run any attack ads uh, at all. Uh, and, and the primary was really crazy. Uh, there were there were four. Of us that made it to the ballot, and and all three of them kind of ganged up on on me. So it was kind of three on one. We were taking all the negative incoming, and uh, we 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 traveled to all uh, 248 cities and towns in Utah. It had an RV, you know, with my dumb picture on the side of it. And um, but we we did service projects all across the state of Utah. We we had this desire that it, win or lose, we wanted Utah to be a better place when our campaign was over. Too often, I think when you look back, um, camp 
pains make us worse, right? They, they make us hate each other more. We had gone through kind of the example was um, Obama-Romney, uh, that, that campaign, and they'd both spent a billion dollars. And we asked the question, is, was the country better off because of that $2 billion that was spent? And, and I think the answer was no. I, in fact, I think we hated each other more at the end of the campaign than we did at the beginning of the campaign. So, so what did we spend that $2 billion on? We ended up with the same result. We got the same president we probably would have gotten if they had spent zero dollars. And uh, could, could they have used that billion dollars to, you know, make our country a better place? And so that that was our idea. And, and so I, I did have a campaign staff that was more in tune with what we were trying to do, that thinking outside the box and trying to do things a little differently. But, you know, and, and, and look, it was Utah. It's a red state. You know, once we got through the primary, we were pretty confident we were going to win. But uh, but this was a chance to use some of that, that, uh, that political capital and some of real capital, some campaign capital on, uh, on, on something a little different that would hopefully make us better. Oh, sorry. I, I, better disagreement already. Is, I, know. I like this, guys. <laughs> I defer to you. Thank you, sir. Um, Governor, I think you're, you're, you're way too humble, which I think is something we all appreciate about you. But I, I, you say it's only Utah, but I remember seeing this ad on the Today Show. I think you both were on there to discuss it. And it, it really gave me a sense of hope that, okay, maybe everything is not as terrible and gloomy when it comes to our political discourse as I thought it could be. In fact, I think there's even science behind this. I think uh, Stanford did a study on the ad, and they found that this intervention actually de-escalated uh, toxic polarization among people who saw it. So I, not really a question, just a, a thank you. Well, well, no, thank you. So, so we, we did not know that study was happening by the way. Uh, a professor at the University of Utah submitted our ad as one of the interventions, and, and they, they chose it. They chose, I think, 25 interventions and tested them on over 30,000 people. And, and when the study came out, we're like, wait a minute, that's, that's our ad. <laughs> and, and it turns out it did have a depolarizing effect, uh, specifically towards political violence and, and kind of those feelings of anger or violence towards opponents. And, uh, and so uh, we, uh, that, that was very interesting to us, un- unintended, I think, for, for us, and that, that wow, we, it actually worked and, and gave us, uh, I think, uh, s- some ideas and s- some momentum, some encouragement uh, to do more, to really lean into this space. It, look, it's, it's something I care. I, I care about policy, and I want to get policy right, and, and I feel like the, the Republican Party historically has had the right policies. It's why I'm a Republican. I feel like we're doing some great things in Utah, but, but I, I am... I, I'm losing hope, as as you mentioned. I'm looking for signs of, of optimism, which is one of the reasons we're here. Because I think, uh, I think former President Bush uh, really uh, is is a great example of how to do this the right way. And, and both 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 uh, President Bush and 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 his wife, First Lady Laura Bush, were were such classy people and and, and espoused kind of these American ideals. This this uh, our ability to uh, to to respect people that we we disagree with and and to look for for common ground and so we, we've tried to continue doing that uh, throughout the the past three years that that I've been able to serve as governor and uh, and w- with a little luck we'll get, we'll get another four years but but I am deeply concerned I, I I don't think it's gotten better over since we did that ad four years ago in fact it's probably gone the other direction so one of, one of the things that I think is an important nuance to make sure we, we talk about some of this is, Chris, you were just joking. I started to ask a question. You asked a question and I said, I defer to you. I said, oh, we're disagreeing better already. But that's actually, and I, I get that you're joking to be clear, but 
we're not talking about saying, oh, we just have to defer to each other and, and, and not disagree. Like disagreeing is an important part of the American political landscape, right? Like, and so how, what, where, how do you draw the line between healthy disagreement and, and troublesome and, and what are your tips for staying yeah. Within the lines. Yeah. it's something. So we've been working with, with experts all across the country to understand how to do this. As, as chair of the National Governors Association, I, I, did, I did choose this initiative that we've called Disagree Better. And, and the, uh, the whole point is that it's, you know, it's, it's not just kind of a be nice initiative or, or civility initiative, although civility properly defined, I think, is disagreeing better. Um, and, and that is we want people to disagree. Uh, too often the criticism is, oh, you just want us to go along to get along or, you know, I, 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 I can't I can't speak my mind or or uh, the opposite. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to engage with those people. Those people are, are awful. And we're we believe that disagreement is foundational to our country that that our um, you know our nation was founded on on really deep and profound disagreement and so we we, we want to encourage people to do that so so I always tell people that there's a couple and, and I'm not great at it, by the way I screw up all the time I, you know I but but name calling is 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 one way just just kind of an easy way to to, to watch out for whenever you're talking about those people um, that that's a red flag for me as well uh, trying to, to understand you know where other people are coming from is is really critical. So we, we encourage people to uh, to be curious often um, to to ask people you know, to, you know tell me more about why you believe what what you believe that that shows real interest in in the other person um, allows me to calm down a little bit when when I'm angry and want to disagree. Um, more often than not, the other person is going to give me an opportunity to uh, to you know to to respond and and talk about why I believe what what, what I believe. Um, I I prefer uh, we talk about attacking ideas and not people. And that's that's really critical. Um, trying not to make it personal, but just the, you know that thing that you believe or or that that I I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna really focus on the issue instead of the the person. And th- those are just some I think common sense things that we do. And, and look, this is not this is not something new. Um, it, it's something that it, it's really conflict resolution, and it's not just in politics. It's about the dinner table with you know with our kids. It's about our workplaces and the way we we handle conflict there. It's just an extension of that, that, that for some reason we've decided as a people religion for for example that that you know you know we're 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 christians we we love we 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 care about other people we want to you know feed the hungry and clothe the naked and um except when it comes to politics and then i get to punch you in the mouth and and, you know and and call you anything i want and uh, that's that's it it, well it's ebbed and flowed in our country it's it's certainly we're we're at a point where it's um it's flowing and in a very dangerous direction you've mentioned a couple times that the national governors governors association and the the Disagree Better Initiative. Hey, I didn't. I didn't know the governors had an association. So, hey, I apologize for that. That's okay. But can you tell us about that organization sure. and yeah. the initiative? Yeah, it's it's. Look, we we love the NGA. It's a bipartisan organization. Uh, we we rotate leadership. So every year you have a, a Republican chair, a Democrat vice chair, and then the next year that vice chair becomes chair, and the Republican becomes vice chair. And and so it's it's a cool opportunity for us to work together. Um, all the governors are, are members. Some are more active than others, but we. We, uh, we 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 love the 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 idea that governors 
Um, Franklin said the governors are the last adults in the room when it comes to politics. And I think that's <laughs> mostly true. There, there's a couple at the kids' table, but mostly <laughs> mostly governors are, are the adults in the Throwing room. Throwing French fries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's the, some of that. Uh, but we um, every every year, the, the chair gets to choose an initiative in which the other governors work with them. Uh, the staff at the NGA work, work to help move that forward. We, we were looking at things like, uh, like health care and the cost of health care, kind of traditional initiatives. We're looking at... Uh, energy policy and critical minerals, some of the things that, that are impacting us, and uh, kind of came to this conclusion that uh, we can't solve the, 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 the most controversial or most difficult issues facing our country if we all hate each other. And you know, you're seeing this in Congress, just how tough it is to get even little stuff done these days, like, like keeping the government open, right? It seems like every three months we're, you know, we're facing this again. And, uh, and so um, could that, that Add that we did. Could the things we learned from that Stanford study? Uh, could we work uh, have an initiative based on on depolarization? And and uh, and is that is that even possible? Um, as I floated it to my fellow governors, I was surprised at how excited they were uh, to to jump in and and help us out. We've got about fifteen governors actually doing ads like the one we did. Um, we, uh, governor Polis and I did one together. Jared Polis, uh, who's my vice chair, Democrat uh, governor of Colorado, great guy. We we did one about disagreeing better around the dinner table. So you're. Um, you know, your MAGA uncle and your woke niece can have Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner and not, 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 you know, not hate each other. Um, and and it, so, so that's, that's kind of how it, how it all came together. And we're six months in and, and it's, it's, it's exceeded kind of our, our even best expectations. And, and Governor, this this will sound like a backhanded compliment, and I don't mean it like That's that okay. at all. I'll take I, it. I, mean, I, don't, I don't get you know I don't get real compliments. So a backhanded one's great. Well, it's great. But you it is great yeah. hair today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, but it I is a yeah. sincere compliment. You know, we live in a time where where I think the bar for political courage is fairly low. So low. But what you're doing is courageous. I, I mean, you you just called a Democratic governor. A great guy. And, and it feels like you never hear something like that. So I, I, I'm curious, why take this risk? I, and, and there is serious risk because you hear th- about, about death threats, about people who, who compromise or talk to or engage with the other side. What is driving you? What incentivizes you when so many other politicians at least seem percep- perception-wise to be demonizing or disengaging from their political opponents? Why do you do it? And, and how did you sell other governors on it as well. How? Well, so so the the reason the reason I did it is that I think we're kind of screwed as a country if we don't do it. That's uh, the optimism. I, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. I, I mean, to be, to be frank, we look we we talk to these experts who study this stuff, who study um, democracies and failed democracies, right? Um, Rachel Kleinfeld uh, with uh, uh, with Carnegie is w- w- one of those people, and, and these experts are all telling us. I mean, like all the red lights are flashing. Um, failed institutions, failed democracy. Like we're we're headed that direction, and uh, and if we don't all course soon, it's going to get far worse, you know, kind of the, the, the worst case scenario. So not, not a real optimistic uh, view of, of where we're headed. Uh, and, and yet, I, I do believe in us, and I believe in our ability to, to correct and, and the pendulum swing, and, and that we, we the people can decide that we're not going to do this anymore. And uh, the, I, I, so, so the other thing that gives me some hope, I'll give you the optimistic side of this, is as we've worked with Dartmouth and others uh, in their depolarization labs, the, the, they have study after study, poll after poll that shows shows that the American people hate what's happening in our politics today um, as we're careening towards a rematch of, you know, the worst 
that nobody wants this. Nobody wants this, and yet here, here we are looking at a presidential race. Uh, you know, the, the a rematch of of twenty twenty. Um, so there, there's a complete market failure by both parties right now to to give the American people what they're really looking for, and uh, and so so my my hope is that, and, and I, I just feel duty bound. Like I don't. Again, uh, if if we're just not going to do anything and not try to make our country a better place. And somebody, somebody else can do that. I, I, I'm not interested in that. And if it hurts me politically, that's okay. Uh, I, but, but I'm also trying to convince my, my, my fellow governors and other politicians out there that not only will it not hurt you, but because there is a market failure, um, it, it's not as courageous, I, well, I appreciate the compliment, um, that, that it's actually good politics and, and that, that people will respond and, and, and people can and, and will still reward you. Um, by by just being a decent human being. That's that's again low bar. That's that's all we're asking for, um, and and so uh, it didn't take much to sell my 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 fellow governors because they see it. They they really do. Even some of the most partisan politicians in our country, if if you, if you give them truth serum or get them alone, they'll tell you like they hate what's happening out there and, and they, they, they want it to be better. So offering something like that up, it doesn't mean everybody's going to jump out and, and do the right thing every time or, or not be, you know, not be polarized all of the time or not, not do some name calling. I screw up all the time. Uh, but, but, it, but it does give people permission. We need to change that permission structure. Um, it gives people permission to, uh, to, to, to be decent again. And that's, that's what that, you know, the, the, that ad going viral, um, ending up on the, you know, the, the Today Show or all those places where we ended up, that, that's the stuff we're talking about. And I, I think it's still out there and I think there's a hunger for it. Well, I, I, I was going to ask you something about civility, but yeah. you actually beat me to the punch when you said that it was that we misunderstand the meaning of, of civility. I actually thought we could play out some disagreement in live action, actually practice <laughs> what we preach. But I, but I will ask you again then, well, you know, we, we at the Bush Center are, are very pro-civility. I, mean, I, I know yes. that you are too and others sure, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and I think I personally think that the meaning of civility has been corrupted. That people don't understand that you go back and look at the the roots of the word. It actually means good citizenship. It means being engaged and uh, and decent, uh, and in using the habits that that are are, are necessary for a, a republic like ours to su- succeed. But I know that you you prefer disagree better. And I'm, I just be curious why why is it that you picked that? Yeah. Term? Well, I, I one of the reasons we picked it is is for the very reason that you mentioned that the the word civility um, has lost its its original meaning. When people hear civility now, they kind of roll their eyes and it's just like, oh, you just want us to be nice to each other, right? I do. By the way, we should all be nicer to each other. Let me be <laughs> very, very clear about that. Um, but I, I actually want to help people um, learn or remember, uh, including myself, how to disagree um, with with passion and ferocity, and 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 but but do it the right way. Uh, you know, we've as as we've been touring the the Bush Center here, we've talked a lot about Lincoln. I, I know Lincoln was kind of his president and, and his favorite. We we learned that he read fourteen biographies on on Lincoln while he was in office. And uh, the the first book that uh, when when I became governor, we we started a book club with my cabinet, my senior staff, and the the, the very first book I I required them to read was Team of Rivals. Uh, the the um, an incredible book, one everybody should read. My favorite on 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 Lincoln and, and those debates. Um, you know, Lincoln Douglas, right? 
uh, that that was kind of the the the, the high point I, I think of of debate in, in our country. But but un- understanding how to debate and, and it, by the way, interesting note: people who debate, learn to debate, uh, or did debate in high school or college are far less polarized than the rest of the country. And, yeah, it is it is fascinating to me. In fact, what, one of the interventions that we're working on are more debate clubs in in. You know, elementary, middle schools, and and high schools, but because to to debate you you to debate the the right way and to to perform well, you have to understand the other argument, right? To in in order to defend yours, and and, and in debate, sometimes you get assigned an argument you don't believe with. So you know, we're gonna we're gonna debate abortion. You're you're pro, you're against, and and go even that if that's not your your true belief. And so in learning the other side, right, the, the power of persuasion is being lost today. We're we're not the not neither party is trying to convince people to join their their team right that that's not happening anymore that's the, the the purpose of political parties historically has been okay we want to appeal to other people and get them to come and join us now it's just about tearing the other side down and i don't know anybody who's ever changed their mind by being attacked right that's so that's where where i start with people so um so, so civility is about all of those things and i i hope we can get back to understanding the the virtues you you said something about the habits necessary to um, to preserve a pluralistic society, uh, a, a, a constitutional democracy. Um, a, a, all of those things are, are what we care deeply about. I'm I, I, I'm 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 in I'm in search of virtue, um, the the kind of the virtues that are necessary. Uh, there, there there's a great quote, and and, and I'll butcher it um, by by John Adams, who, who said uh, something like, "Without the political virtues." of patience, humility, and there's one more that I'm forgetting, but uh, the, we, we were all ravenous political beasts. Uh, mm-hmm. that, oh, moderation. It was, it was patience, humility, and moderation. We are all ravenous political beasts. And, and I think about that often, those virtues of patience, mo- moderation, and humility. I mean, how, you know, I, I, I think I would use all three of those to describe uh, former President Bush. Um, I, I don't know that I would use those three things to describe very many uh, politicians these days, and and uh, or we the people, right? Um, and so, ergo, we're becoming ravenous political beasts, and you can't preserve a union. Uh, you you can't preserve uh, a, a a pluralistic you know, constitutional democracy if you don't have those things. And so, so, so let's, you know, I, I think, I think that's what civility really is about. It's about those, those kind of virtues that are necessary to preserve our union. We can disagree at all. I hear civility. I think rules of civility and I start thinking of people in British accents <laughs> kind of ruined it for everybody. Uh, we did just go on a tour of the building and, and we were talking some about president Bush's paintings and uh, which led me to think, what do you, governor do for fun on your in your spare time he wasn't a painter when he was a governor or president but in a, in post career he he's uh, in a painting but what are you doing yeah well, well i do not paint that is one thing i yet. do not do i yes yes yeah i the creative gene uh has has ne- never found me so i well so we, we've talked about one of my passions like the nba that's that mm-hmm. i mean I, I mean that legitimately like if there is a game on i'll watch it. i don't care if it's my team or not i just care deeply about it uh we uh reading an, another passion that, that both my wife and i uh enjoy 
joy we we, we read often and and a lot and uh, and then uh, w- once in a while when weather permits uh, we we like to golf together I'm a terrible golfer but it's something uh, Abby is good at and and better than me most of the time and, and something we enjoy doing together so that when we can get out and just be alone and spend a little time although as governor you're never alone but you know, the, <laughs> I can imagine. the security detail in the <laughs> right. golf cart behind us it's it's really great it's, it's pretty great Utah probably has some beautiful courses doesn't it uh, amazing courses yeah yeah incredible you need to come join us sometime thank you can I, I I know I know we got through the serious business yeah. but I, I, I want to take us back just one minute if I may because I I think it's really important and you highlighted this uh, it's a, it's in a piece I believe you just wrote for the Desiree news um, it's called yeah, Deseret news Deseret, yeah. sorry yeah, Deseret news yep. thank you very much uh, one nation indivisible and and I, I want to say this quote because I think people might overlook it, but I think it's extremely important and we don't talk enough about it. You say, sometimes healthy conflict will produce a compromise, but sometimes it won't and that's okay. Now, now some listeners may hear that and be like, well, what's so profound about that? But I, I have talked to so many people where they're like, but if we do this or we say this, we're not going to win or how will they know they're wrong? Uh, so, so for you to acknowledge that in a healthy pluralistic society where we not only uh, expect others to have differences, but we we think it's it, we think it's part of the American experience. How do you how do you how do you convince people to say it's okay that we disagree? Yeah, well, look, uh, we. Yeah. <laughs> This is the piece that that I, I've I've tried to focus the most on. Um, we we do look for common ground, and that's why you know asking people to to explain to me why they believe what they believe, and trying to get to the core of it. Because usually at the core, that's where we find common ground, right? If I you know, whatever it is we're disagreeing about, if I ask you to keep keep driving down to why you disagree, um, eventually it'll be I love my country, I love my family, wh- wh- whatever. And and now I'm like, oh, I love my country and I love my family too. Now let's start building back up and seeing if there are some areas of, of, of agreement. Uh, but by the way, the, da- the data from Dartmouth also shows that we're not we're not as as partisan polarized as we think we are. Like if you ask 100 Republicans their stance on 10 different issues and 100 Democrats their stance on 10 different issues, the the, uh, the, the median for both are actually going to be pretty close together. The, the problem isn't how far apart we actually are. It's how far apart we think we are. We we we've the extremes of our parties um, get all the attention, and so we assume that uh, that that every Democrat is like the you know the furthest left Democrat, the most aggressive, and every Republican is the you know the farthest Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever. Like that's we we assume we're all like that, and we're and we're not. So so part of that is is getting to know e- each other a little better. But uh, all of that being said, and we do try to find common ground. We try to find win wins. Politics isn't always a zero sum game, and approaching it as such is very dangerous. Um, and we feel like we do a good job of that. In fact, my my state of the state address was all about um, non zero sum thinking and and how we can we can do that better. But sometimes it is binary, right? Sometimes your your person wins and the other person loses. We only get one governor. We only get one president. Sometimes the bill passes or it doesn't pass, right? Sometimes you win that and sometimes you don't. But 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 again, my 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 point there is. Um, do you no you know no political victory is final and no neither is any political defeat and so if you if you want to be able to uh, to persuade um, you have to do this work you you just you just have to there's no other way or or we have to have separate countries for people who are all exactly the same 
And that's where pluralism fails completely. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not interested in that. My wife and I don't agree all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be that way. So, so my, my, my hope is that we can get back to understanding. I, I will say just as an aside, I, I do believe that federalism is really important to pluralism. And that one of the mistakes we've made as a country is saying that what's right for California is right for the nation, or what's right for Texas is right for the nation. And so we elect people who, as president or Congress who try to make their thing all of our things, and we would be far better off in a pluralistic nation with, without all of the angst if we let Utah be weird, and, and we let California <laughs> do their thing, and we let Texas do their thing. Like, um, and, and if we have to do a little sorting, do it that way. Um, I, I, I think I think is is something that that should be able to help us all. It was, it was really interesting when Trump got elected the first time. Suddenly, I had a, a bunch of my friends who were Democrats really interested in uh, in that concept, uh, <laughs> as, uh, you know, where, where they hadn't been before. Um, right. And so, yep. so I'm hoping yep. we can we can get back to that federalist uh, concept a little bit more. Yeah, we we do. We, we as a nation, we we pay all the attention to the national races and the local races are just as important and, and in a lot of ways affect your daily life as much, if not more. I, I, I tell people that all the time. Look, I know I, I was a political science student, and, and you know, Poly Sci One Hundred and One was um, all politics is local, right? That was just mm-hmm. that was gospel. Um, sadly, I don't think that's true anymore. I think all politics is national, and uh, we need to get it back to being local again. Uh, because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I would go to these, you know, I'd go to like a, a school board, uh, n- n- not a school board meeting, but, you know, candidates who were running a town hall or something, or when I was on the city council or mayor, and people would come in and they would want to know, you know, my my take on some federal issue of the day. I'm like, you know, like, you realize that's not what we do, <laughs> right. right? We have nothing right. to do with that. But that's kind of where our mindset is right now. And we need to get back to local. Well, we well we've gone a little over time, but it's it's been fascinating. So we really appreciate it. But we when we get someone in that's been interviewed a thousand times over the years, we'd love to ask one final closing question, which is, what have you never been asked that you wish someone would ask you? Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. we didn't warn you on this. We always yeah, we always, spring, we always spring it on. You you did not ask me this. Yeah, um, there was no prep for this. Well, I I don't know that I've I've I, I love music, so I'm I'm okay. I always love music questions, and I don't get to talk music. Well, nearly what do you enough. listen to? Well, you know what I listen to. Yeah, because well, we too. We, <laughs> yeah, we just did a uh, we just did a tour, and I was able to see a letter from uh, from President Bush to Bono, and and one from Bono to uh, to President Bush, and that's uh, I I grew up as a you know. A, a child of the '80s and early '90s, and and U2 is is my thing, and uh, we uh, we we actually just uh, a, a few weeks ago got to go to Vegas oh, and I'm see just, them at the Sphere. I'm jealous. I you have to it. go. It's it's incredible. Even if you're not a U2 fan, like just seeing that, it feels like like you're in the future. Like it's <laughs> like this is a new thing. This audio visual thing that you've never experienced before. You've never experienced anything like there is nothing, nothing like it anywhere in the world, and. Uh, it will change your perception about about everything. So I, uh, I I love to talk about music, and I'm glad I got to talk about uh, Bono and you too today. That made my day, Governor Cox. This has been fantastic. We really we really can't thank you enough for for traveling down to for this and for our engage program later tonight. Thank you so much for the time that that you're spending with us, and and we uh, we wish you well as as you continue in this in this movement and we got one and a half celtics fans here i just want to point that out one and a quarter one let's, and a, let's not put <laughs> ouch governor that's 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 okay. out, ah. <laughs> yeah we can't we can't yeah exactly. come on chris thank you again thanks you guys we hope you enjoyed the episode 
Let us know what you think at The Bush Center on your favorite social media platform. Watch the discussion between Governor Cox and Kansas Governor Laura Kelly at our January Engage at the Bush Center presented by Next Point event at bushcenter.org slash disagree better. Thank you for listening.